If you start looking for anything under the sky, it's going to be really hard to find something because everything will look interesting. And it's kind of like on that movie Up where their dogs are chasing squirrels and stuff. It's kind of like that. And so it, you, you can get into a dangerous habit of being able to, it's analysis by paralysis or now paralysis by analysis where you just can't make any decisions. And so when it comes to taking this and kind of turning it a little bit, John, is when you're trying to figure out, well, what types of companies do I want to run? First off, look what's interesting. Look at what's interesting to you and look what you've been doing the last 5, 10, 15 years in your career and look at what problems you know how to solve and which problems you're okay with solving. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Ryan Condi with me. Ryan, what is going on, my man? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Excited, man. Excited. Well, I know we were just uh, talking away before the show started, so we got to get this on and get it recorded so the audience can hear some of these gems. So I only uh, only have so many golden nuggets in me, so we better hit record. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So for folks that don't know, so Ryan is a serial entrepreneur, fellow podcast host of Let's Buy a Business, and most importantly, a loving father and husband. So Ryan, what do you got going on right now? Oh man, a little bit of everything. So yeah, you kind of summed it up. I have several small businesses that I run, mostly in the internet and online space, e-commerce businesses that I've acquired in some other content sites. I have, you know, three young kids, so busy with that. And I coach the soccer team. So we're we're kind of running all over the place. There we go. We got the whole ecosystem going, right? We got the business, the family, the fulfillment. So well, let's get into it. So so one of the things that I was really excited to get you on the show was just that you've got such a diverse background in, as far as business acquisition, starting businesses, acquiring businesses. So let's just jump into your journey. So, you know, so how did this entrepreneurial spirit come about? Is this something that's been with you throughout your whole life or where did this come from and, and what's been the journey so far? Yeah. So let me, I can give some background, you know, like, like most kids, like you start out, you got your lemonade stands, your typical things. I would sell just the most random crap to friends that, you know, I would sell them baseball cards, beanie babies, you name it. I was selling stuff, right? And I was never very good at it, but I was having fun. And so early on, I and I always told my parents I was going to have a bunch of different ways to make money. And there was, there was nobody that they knew or I knew that did it that way. And I think entrepreneurship has changed dramatically, right? So growing up in, uh, so I was born in the mid 80s. So really growing up in the 90s, it wasn't really common to have so many different streams of income. And I always told my parents very early on that, I, I was not going to have this traditional career, right? So went off, went to school. And in my final year in college, I took a class from some private equity folks, right? I was never, I was fine at school. I got good grades, but I, I was never a big fan of it. I always just, I never felt like anything I was learning was very applicable. And I took this class from, from some local private equity guys and they just had some really, really incredible stories of how they have acquired businesses and grown them. And I didn't really want to get into finance. I got into, I actually did an entrepreneurship degree. And this, this class really taught me and opened up my eyes of, of how you can actually acquire companies. And on the grand scheme of things, it was probably like dipping a toe in the water. Like it was so minimal in terms of what I actually knew. But I went out of, I, I went out of that class thinking, I know everything, which is what every college graduate thinks they know, right? So I, I went into corporate America actually 
for a little bit and I was in software sales for, for some several different tech unicorns and had a lot of success there and it was fun. But I ultimately looked back and said, you know, hey, I'm doing these things now. Where, where do I want to be in five years and 10 years and 20 years? And where do I want that schedule to look like? Do I want to be able to coach all of my son's soccer teams? Do I want to be able to, to, to do those things? And I realized I was traveling a bunch and I was just kind of going a different direction. And so before I had any kids or anything, I um, was using this, this product. It was actually a wallet. We used to take old polyester ties and turn them into wallets. And back in 2012, I reached out to the owner of this company and I said, hey, like, would you ever be interested in, in selling? And he said, no. And I said, okay, well, can I buy you? And he said, no. <laughs> so I just kept calling him, called him every two weeks for about uh, three months. And then out of the blue, he said, hey, you have a lot of ideas. You have a lot of energy. I'm looking to move on. Let's make a deal, right? And so we came up with the deal. And that was my first kind of stumbling block, so to speak, because I stumbled into that business of, of how to acquire a business. And since then, I've, I've started eight companies. Most of them sucked. They were not very good. I've started a candy factory, which can be found in Sam's Club and in Costco and Q4 of this year. Um, we had you know, 30, 40 employees when I left. And so I've done a variety of things. And over the last couple of years, I've really focused on e-commerce. I've built several e-commerce companies and sold them. And then I've bought several e-commerce companies and have built those too. So that's kind of where it comes up to this point. But there was a shift about five years ago where I just decided, John, that I needed to start with the end in mind. And there was a point where you can go down the tech route and have a wonderful career. And I I decided very consciously that I was just going to take a completely different path. I wanted to spend time with my family. I wanted to work really hard when I wanted, and I wanted to be location independent, all those fun things that you hear talk about. Those are buzzwords and just started making the decisions that I needed to do. And I'll be honest, anybody making that switch from a successful corporate career into entrepreneurship, you typically take a big pay cut, right? That's just part of the, part of the fee, part of this, the, the price you have to pay to be able to do that. So happy to dive into any portions of there, but it's kind of led me down this path of starting a lot of companies, John, and realizing that it's really hard to start a company. And I just wanted to go down and join a company that's year five, year 10, that is cash flow positive. It, you know, has customers and has product market fit and uh, run with it from there. Oh man. Well, that that's a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to have to ask a couple questions and unpack that a little bit. So dive in. yeah. So well, a couple things. So you said you, when you, you took that entrepreneurship class in college and then what, did that lead you straight into a corporate career or what was the timeline there? And then what, what did the eventual exit from corporate look like? Was it unceremonious or was it, you know, this big pomp and circumstance for, I forget now. Yeah. So Asking your first question about the class, right? I took a lot of classes. I went to great business school and I just didn't learn a lot of very applicable things. There were probably two classes that were really impactful on me and my career. It's not that other classes weren't impactful to others. They just weren't impactful to me. And one was how to buy a company, right? That was the one taught by private equity guys, which was really fascinating. And I did a decent job of maintaining those relationships and, and keeping that dialogue open. So down the road, I could ask some questions and stuff. And the other class I took was a sales class and it's just basically how to sell. And that's ultimately what I went into from the beginning of my career. And after a couple of years, I had been selling software for a long time. And I just realized this, this wasn't what I wanted to be doing when I was 50 or 60. And it, it's not that it was a bad career. It's a wonderful career and you can be very, very successful. And a lot of people are, and a lot of my friends are very wildly successful by, by sticking down that path. And it just, it just wasn't the right path for me. And I think sometimes you go down, I would say most people go down the path that they don't want to do a lot more than they finally figure out the path that they do want to go down. And it wasn't even until, even though I, I made my first acquisition almost nine years ago, 
it wasn't till just a few years ago that I really went all in on acquisitions and growing those and, and being in that space. What was your second question? I can't remember. Just as far as the actual exit. So oh, yeah, when exit, we actually yeah. left the corporate. So exit. So the second second part is when you are looking to move on, and I've heard this from a lot of people, it it's scary. It's really hard to switch career paths, right? You get to a point where you're either you're, you're successful or you have too much to lose, or you make too much money doing something that you don't want to switch. And I, I totally get that. I don't fault anybody for wanting to switch. It's actually, switching is very difficult. It's quite the grind. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of sacrifice that can go with that. The first thing that my wife and I did is we always lived way below our means. And so even though our salary and our income was going up, we didn't necessarily increase our expenses. And I think that's a critical piece. And you hear that a lot. And some people think, oh, it's just, you know, people are just saying that, right? But it allows you to buy time and, and, and buy flexibility and it allows you to buy options. So when I quit my, my corporate career, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to have to quit and then immediately have to say yes to every single opportunity that came my way. So what that allows you to do is you get time, time to think and, and plan and allows you to say no to a lot of opportunities. And so when I ultimately made that switch, I, and actually I, I did it once and it didn't really work out. I, I, I built some businesses and invested in some businesses and they didn't really pay out as fast as quickly as I wanted. So I actually had to go back into corporate America. Yeah. Who cares? Right? Like ultimately it, was it embarrassing? No, not really. Cause I don't really care what anybody else thought. Cause I knew if I just take enough swings and I can get at bat more as many times as possible, one of these is going to work. And so the second time around, what I learned from the first time is the second time around is I actually built my business on the side till it got to a point where it was livable, right? I could actually pay myself and I was three and a half years in on, on this business. And it just allowed me to make a very easy transition because I wasn't making the exact same amount of money I was making before, but I, I call it, I can pay my mortgage and I can pay my Costco bills, right? You know, with a family and young kids, you kind of have to kind of keep yourself there. So the second time around, what I did, John, is I focused on covering my downside and making sure I had the right amount of runway. So, you know, in saving, I had a very long runway where I didn't need to make money for a long time, but I also had a business that was already cash flow positive and was a big enough that would actually pay my income as I wanted to transition outside of corporate America. But I'll, I'll tell you what, you still get jitters when you go to quit, even though if you've got a side business that's doing really, really well, even though if you know if that's what you want to do, it's not an easy decision. And it's still something where people all over left and right are questioning, why would you leave this good career? Why would you leave this good company? And, and ultimately, it's a great company. It was a great company. It just wasn't the right company for me at the time and the right role for me at the time. So happy to dive into more of that. But I think there's there's several pieces that you can dive into. But one is extending your your runway uh, one is by saving money and keeping costs down. I drive old cars mainly because I'm not a car guy, but I also don't have a car payment. So that was just something that extended our lifeline a little bit longer. Those are just those little things that when you do make that switch, you've got the runway to be able to, to, to say no to opportunities and say yes to the right ones. That's so powerful. And I mean, so many, so many nuggets in there, right? Like you said, you couldn't blow them before the show started. So I, so I appreciate you sharing those, but I mean, there's so many things you touched upon there. And I think the biggest one that I hear, I've heard you mention multiple times, but really is starting from the inside, right? It has to start introspectively and looking at yourself because as you said, you know, no matter how successful you may have a side venture or something else going on, that exit is always going to seem uncomfortable and you're going to doubt yourself. And, you know, people are going to say, why are you doing this? You know, this is something you shouldn't be doing. And so I just think 
the point, and when you talked about living greatly below your means, those are just two things to me that are extremely important because they just increase the room for error, right? And then lastly, like you said, was it embarrassing to have to go back and get a job afterwards? No, it's fine. And, and now, you know, you're still at the end goal that you wanted and you can still coach as much soccer until your heart desires, right? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It, you're going to, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, right? And as long as you're not trying to do it where you can't still play the game, right? Play the game. You know, if you're, if you're in jail or if you're completely broke, bankrupt, like those are the areas you have to be careful with. You don't want to just bet everything. And so everybody's kind of got their own path and what they're going to feel comfortable with. And also like touching on like the end in mind, I, I bring that up a lot too, even just with, with family and friends or everybody, John is because a lot of times we go through life without really thinking like, where do I want to be in five years and 10 years? And I went through a lot of my life, not actually thinking that. And it wasn't until my wife and I sat down and said, where do we really want to be? And we got on the same page and realized we were kind of going different directions, not necessarily bad directions, but when we realized, okay, this is what's important to me and this is what's important to my wife. And so this is the kind of lifestyle that we want five, 10, 15 years from now. We need to be able to work backwards and say, what are the decisions we can make now to be able to get there? And we can sacrifice now thinking that we can, you know, make make those sacrifices now to get to, the, to those end goals. And I think we we knew that corporate America wasn't for us. We'd seen friends and family and people go down that the entrepreneur path and the corporate America path. And we looked at their lifestyles and said, who do, who, which lifestyles do we want? Which sacrifices do we want to make? And we just said, yeah, we're, we're, we're in this, right? We're going to make these sacrifices now to be able to get to that next level. And it, it might sound like, you know, Tony Robbins-esque or whatever, but like, you know, take a few minutes, take two, three hours. One of these days, you have to set some time aside, pull out your journal and try to figure out where do you want to be in five years? And then why is that important to you? And don't just stop there. Go, go several layers deep. Ask yourself, well, why is that important to you? And oh, I want to have this lifestyle to be there for my kids. Well, why is that important to you? And just keep going till you're five, six, seven layers deep on that why. And you'll start to understand what your true values are. Um, and then you can just reverse engineer your path to get there and say, okay, well, if I want to do this in 10 years, and I need to do X every year. So let's break it down. So this next year, over the next 12 months, every month I need to do this, right? So you're kind of breaking that goal down. And I I, I don't know anything about fitness. I, I, I love sports and outdoors and everything, but I always relate it to, it's really easy to say, if I want to lose 25 pounds, how do I work myself backwards, John, when I'm looking at that goal? And you can say, well, you know, I, I eat less, I work out, I drink more water, you know, a lot of the basic things like, I'm not getting into all the details, but you can work yourself backwards and say, okay, I need to lose half a pound a week. And so by the end of the year, I'll have lost my 25 pounds, but it's a very visual goal and it allows you to, to start from the very beginning and work backwards or from the end and work backwards. And for me, that that's so important. Like you said, it's easier to break it down. And, and so like in, so you used weight loss as an example, but just say, as far as, you know, being able to cover your bills with, with a side venture or whatever, right? That's an easy kind of, or you, you used your mortgage, mortgage as an example, right? Okay, so hey, I need this venture to make enough money on a monthly basis to cover my mortgage. Okay, now I need this money, this venture or multiple ventures to cover enough to cover my mortgage and our food bill. And then just kind of iteratively, continuously moving forward. And, and one of the points you made, I'm not sure if you've ever read uh, Originals by Adam Grant, but if you, it's an outstanding book. But he, You're like the eighth person to recommend that to me this year. So apparently I need 
to get it. It's getting on my oh, man. Right you, you got to get it. It's awesome. I mean, so the example he gives is he was the, the professor for the students that started Warby Parker. And so the point is, he said the best entrepreneurs are actually the best at mitigating risk and judging risk, not the best risk takers. And he said, you know, there's examples, of course, of people that threw caution to the wind and, you know, they had their back against the wall and they were able to succeed. But the majority of folks that bank it, he gave, you know, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, these Warby Parker guys, an example. And the reason he didn't give them an investment was because he's like, they're not willing to go all in. And then from it, he's like, well, I wish I would have bet on them because Warby Parker is an outstanding company now. And so it's just, it's a great example because I think people think it's got to be caution to the wind, all or nothing. And, And what you just talked about there, as far as, you know, hedging your downside risk and making sure that you don't end up in jail or bankrupt is so important. And I think that's the big thing is if you have to go back and get a job, is that really the worst thing in the world? You know, I mean, life, life will have, you know, life will continue to go on. And if you, as long as you can support yourself and your family and, you know, maintain the mentality, the mindset to be positive to others, then, you know, it'll all work out. But I just, I just, I love that point. And uh, yeah, I definitely, you definitely got to check that book out. It's outstanding. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So another thing you talked about was the communication with your wife. And I think that's one thing that's so important with, you know, because sometimes the risk tolerance of one spouse to another, or as you know, things change, maybe you got married and you both thought, Hey, we're going down this path, but now, now we're reevaluating as we go on. So what, what are those conversations like? And you said she realized that corporate wasn't quite for her either moving forward. So yeah, what's been that kind of progression and growth between the two of you and the conversations like? Well, yeah, absolutely. We have three young kids. So sometimes it feels like we don't ever chat. Right. But no, what, what, and I would say early on, so my wife and I've been married for about 10 years now. And even when we were dating, she, her, her father um, was an entrepreneur, is an entrepreneur. Right. And so she, she kind of grew up with that and she understood the the pros and the cons and the flexible lifestyle that he had. And I remember dating and uh, we dated for about two years. And in the middle of that, I basically said one day, like, are you okay? You know, if this thing works out and this thing, you know, whatever, whatever happens here, if we take all of our life savings and bet it on an idea on a business and run with it. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm comfortable with that. And we haven't ever done that. So I just want to be clear. I don't recommend doing that. But I think from the very, from the very get go, I was very clear that, Hey, I have this great sales job. It's going to be this great tech company, but also at the same time, this isn't my end goal. My end goal is to work for myself. It's, you know, have my own companies, own my own companies, those types of things. And so I think from the very get go, we, we had those kind of goals and established vision, but at the same time, you have to keep reevaluating that, right? Because life happens, things change, opportunities change, uh, risk profiles change. You know, I didn't have life insurance until I had my son, you know, and then he was born and now, uh, now I have life insurance. And those are just different aspects in how life can change very quickly. And so what, what has has helped. And I wouldn't say we're experts in any way, but we're, we're constantly trying to, trying to, we, we know what we want and we try to achieve it together, but that's also constantly changing. Right. And, you know, even just what we think our ideal lifestyle is and our ideal plan has changed. We had no kids when we started this journey and now we have three kids and that instantly changes everything. So I would say it's just keeping that open dialogue and communication open the reason I, that's so critical is some of the things that I want to do aren't necessarily that important to my wife. And some of the things that are important to my wife aren't that important. And just let me give you a quick example, John, is we just got 10 chickens, like 10 chicks for this this spring. So now now we're raising chicks in our backyard, right? Which is fantastic. It's all fun. I'm excited about the eggs, but 
you know, I'm the least like farmer-esque person that you could ever imagine. Right. And now I've seen how much fun my kids are having with the chickens and they're getting, getting to the point where, you know, they can start feeding them and watering them and like taking care of them. And this is really important to my wife. And so it's, there's a lot of give and take in that, but I think the end goals and the lifestyles that we want are very similar from five, 10, 20 years out and what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's gotta be fun to watch. So, so do the kids, if they're just little chicks, uh, I mean, I don't really know anything about chickens. Do they peck it all or do they like, you know, well, they, the kids they started, we got them like a week old and I didn't know this about chicks, but we've had them for almost two months now. And now they're like five times the size. They're massive. So they just grow really fast. <laughs> that's super fun. Well, like yeah. you said, anything with any, any relationship, regardless, you know, spousal business, whatever, right. It's a lot of give and take and even investments, right? You know, do you want more of a yield play, cash flow, or do you want more of an upside equity play, right? So it's just everything in life, you know, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a give and take. Sometimes you get lucky and you hit the home run and you get, you know, the benefit of both. So one thing I've heard you talk about a lot is the power of relationships. And just, I love, and maybe it's the sales, I'm a sales guy too. So I'm a little bit biased, you know, for the the grit and, and the grind. But you talked about that company that that you first acquired, right? You know, when you had reached out to the owner directly and had that conversation, what, what was that like? And what really drove you to to reach out directly to the owner and then continue to follow up? I mean, that's just, that's a great story. Well, well, thanks. And, and I, I don't know, you know, nine years ago, I don't remember all the, all the details. I'm sure I was nervous. I'm sure I was like, oh, maybe I'm not going to call him and I put it off and you, and you punt it, right? I'm not going to say that I didn't have uh, fears associated with that. I've also never been, I've never been shy of just reaching out. If someone that I see has done something that's interesting or they, they took a cool photo or if they, you know, rode their motorcycle across the U.S. or just anything that I've seen that is cool or they, they wrote a book, like I reach, anytime I read a book, I just reach out to the author if I like it, you know, and I'm like, hey, how did you do this, this, and this? And there, there was one time I, I actually got to meet with a Stanford professor that I thought very highly of. I didn't go to Stanford. I have no ties to Stanford. And I just pretended like I was one of his students. And then halfway through our call, he realized I was not one of his students and he got a good chuckle. And I was like 25 at the time. I was not even in school. And um, I jumped on his office hours. But I, I I always think, well, what's the worst that can happen when you're reaching out to people and, and just connecting and trying to add value to others? And I, I you you can get shy, but you know, after you meet a famous person or two, you realize they're just humans too. And you can reach out to people and add value to whatever they're doing. So it's never... It's, and maybe that, I don't know if that's something I've just been born with, but it's never, I've never feared reaching out to someone and just chatting with them. And ultimately who knows where it can lead to. Right. So sometimes if it's a business that I like, I just reach out to the owner, not because I want to buy it. I just want to, you know, if they're doing interesting things, I want to meet them. And so I know when acquiring a business and, you know, any business, be it, you know, like you said, an online business, e-commerce business, you know, brick and mortar, real estate business, whatever the case is, it, it requires a lot of financial due diligence. And it's like you said, you didn't go to school for finances and, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat, right? I'm a sales guy, you know, I'm a little bit more hard-headed. I'm not really the analytical type that's staring at spreadsheets and, you know, doing all these pivot tables and different things on the spreadsheets. But how did you start to learn the analytics side? So when you're actually looking at a business, you can say, is this business worth even pursuing or, you know, is this yeah. one way overvalued? So there's definitely different keys when you're looking at a business to evaluate and you want to figure out what the trigger points are that if they're not true, then you can just move on, right? You don't want to waste more time. And some of that's going to be just, you know, are there revenues, what they say there are, are there cogs, like their cost of goods sold? Is that what they say there is? Is there profit? Oh, like are your margins, are they okay? Like, is that a business you want to run? Are you okay with that? So I try to figure out the top line things first. And if any of those don't check out, I can just move on. 
in terms of learning that, you're exactly right. I didn't go to, I, I don't have a finance background. I have more of a sales and marketing background. So there was, there was one book that is really valuable in terms of that learning. And I, I literally think it's called How, how to Read Financial Statements. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll send you a link. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's How to Read Financial Statements. And then a lot of it is just doing it, right? Getting in and at any given point, you know, as a buyer, I'm looking at maybe 200 businesses a year, right? So a couple businesses every working day. And so you just get to the point where you're getting better and better at it. The other part of it too, John, is I started focusing on really specific businesses. Like I used to look at tow truck companies to e-commerce to like porta potty companies to SaaS companies. And I just realized I didn't really want to run a porta potty company. It doesn't matter how big it is. I just didn't really want to run it. It just wasn't for me. And then I, once I was able to niche down a little bit, now, as you see financial statements of a lot of e-commerce companies, you can dial in really quickly. Oh, this is what's worked across the last 20 of them. This company is missing X, Y, and Z. This isn't a good fit for me. So that would be another thing too. And then the last piece of it maybe kind of is involved with your, or ties to your, your previous question is network. And it's, it's, you, you need to surround yourself with people who are better at, at good at the things that you're not good at. Right. And so I bought a company last fall and I had all the sales and marketing ideas and I brought on someone who was a developer, right? He actually was an accountant by trade who learned how to develop. Those are two skill sets that are so far different than mine that allowed us to approach this business together as partners where we had very complementary skill sets. Now you don't necessarily need to bring on a partner that has it, but um, at the same time, I've hired CPAs to do analysis on the financial statements, you know, when I'm at a certain point within a business. So I think there, there's a certain point you've got to learn all these different skill sets as you're evaluating a business and looking to acquire a business or even start a business. But then you don't need to be the best at it. You just need to be able to find the right person and don't be afraid to loop someone in. I'm The biggest mistakes that I would say early on in my career being an entrepreneur is not hiring people fast enough. And it doesn't mean full-time work. It just means not giving my books over to a, a bookkeeper sooner, right? I wanted to save some costs. So I wanted to do it myself. Well, I had to pay for it anyways when they had to fix it all, right? So um, that's what I would say. Surround yourself with the people that you need in your corner. And you're, you're going to make some mistakes when you hire the wrong people. And a lot of that is just time, right? You're going to you're going to go through a couple of different bookkeepers and you finally find the one that's awesome. And then you, you double down on them, or you're going to, you know, find someone who's really good at X, Y, and Z. And it's just going to take you to go through a few of them. And that's just part of the reps that you need to do. Well, I think that's so important. I mean, just getting the reps in and continuously looking, you know, at these companies and, and kind of, then you start to see themes and you can tell pretty quickly, you know, Hey, this is going to be a fit or, you know, this valuation based off these financials or, you know, these financials are trash. They're going to have to be able to put together, you know, something a little bit more detailed or otherwise, you know, it's going to be hard to make of, you know, a valuation that's, you know, similar to what their ask is on it. So you talked about niching down. So I think that can be a challenge sometimes for folks that are just trying to, you know, Hey, I want to buy a business, right? So is that something you recommend them to kind of get an idea early on of, of the niche they want to pursue, or should they start looking at kind of a larger swath of business? and then start kind of zeroing in after they've evaluated or maybe even, you know, acquired one or two? Yeah, great question. So first off, you always want to start with that end in mind, because if, if, if you want to live in Salt Lake City where I live, or if you want to live in Seattle, if you want to live in Columbus, Ohio, you can focus on businesses in that region, you know, but it, it, if you aren't open to living in Omaha, then you don't want to look at businesses in Omaha. And I know that's really simple, but a lot of people get caught in this trap and this is an amazing business, 
but it's in Omaha and they don't want to live in Omaha. Okay, well then don't do that. So starting with the end in mind and what types of problems, what type of businesses do you actually want to run? Okay. And then as you start doing that, you'll determine location, size, do you want to go full-time, part-time? What does that look like? And so you start to develop almost like criteria on your business. So what I say is at the beginning, John, is you want to look at all sorts of companies at the beginning, like maybe the first four to five weeks, your first month, look at everything that you can see because you're going to find tow truck companies and e-commerce companies. You're going to look at everything, but very quickly, you want to start narrowing down that niche and it doesn't have to be, you know, incredibly specific, but it could just be online or e-commerce companies, or it could be, you know, if you want to focus on the restaurant niche, well, what types of restaurants and what size and, and those types of things. But at the beginning, you look at everything, you start to understand what you like and dislike, and then you have to start narrowing it down. If you start looking for anything under the sky, it's going to be really hard to find something because everything will look interesting. And it's kind of like on that movie Up where their dogs are chasing squirrels and stuff. It's kind of like that. And so you you can get into a dangerous habit of being able to, it's analysis by paralysis or now paralysis by analysis where you just can't make any decisions. And so when it comes to, taking this and kind of turning it a little bit, John, is when you're trying to figure out, well, what types of companies do I want to run? First off, look what's interesting. Look at what's interesting to you and look what you've been doing the last 5, 10, 15 years in your career and look at what problems you know how to solve and which problems you're okay with solving. I looked at a franchise about a year ago, wonderful little business. And I thought, hey, if I could get to three or four locations of this business, I'm just going to crush it, right? And I was going to start with this one and it just was really good. And then it, I was looking, all the numbers made sense. Everything was perfect. I was buying at a good time. Like everything looked good. And my wife one night said, Hey, this is a cool business, but do you really want to deal with 16 year old employees? And I was like, well, no, like that's, that sounds the worst. Like no way would I want to hire myself at 16. And she said, well, those are the problems you're going to solve. And you know, that was like the, you know, the, of course my wise wife being like, are you sure you want to hire a bunch of 16 year olds? And you know, some people do, and some people want to go down that path. And it just became very apparent to me that like, just because everything else made sense in terms of the numbers and the business. And then I realized, well, the actual problems I'm solving on a day-to-day basis have nothing to do with what I want to do in my life. So Anyway, so that was kind of one perspective. So there's a couple of different ways to approach it, but you really need to start with the end in mind and then work yourself backwards. Which problems you know how to solve, which problems you want to solve and continuing down that path. I love it. The consistent theme of starting with the end in mind, right? You know, everything and what do you want from your life? And then then you can kind of weave in, you know, what kind of business fits that lifestyle that you want. And you talk about location freedom, you know, maybe you have family all in one part of the country. So, Hey, maybe it's fine that you, you know, you post up in Omaha and that's your, you know, that's your fortress. But if you're looking to maybe, you know, travel abroad and, you know, do some years abroad with family, friends, whatever, you know, obviously that makes it a lot more challenging when you have an on-site business. So what, what are some of the pitfalls you see newer investors or people that are looking to acquire businesses make maybe from an assumption perspective or just even, you know, after they've actually made the acquisition? Yeah. So I think there's there's two levels. Maybe ask to answer that question first and, and split the part like the operator part and the investor part, right? There are all sorts of different types of investments. There's there's passive investments, which is you buy a stock and you get some dividends from it. You're basically doing nothing, right? There's there's a little bit more work, which is like, oh, I bought a a, a home. I'm doing real estate and I'm renting this out. And every seven years, the water heater breaks, right? Or whatever. And so that's a little bit more involvement. And then you have just, as it kind of goes path on the, on the most active investment, it's buying a business. <laughs> so just want to be very clear with that. This is not, uh, you know, 
four hours, four hour work weeks where you're sipping Mai Tai in Thailand, right? It doesn't happen that way. And anything that you think is going to be that way, it'll eventually go to zero very quickly. So there's this wide range of investments. And so if you're thinking about it from an operator standpoint, you're typically going to you know buy this company and, and run it, right? Whether it's 10 hours a week or 40 hours a week, whether it's part-time work or full-time work, or you hire a GM or a CEO to run it. On the opposite spectrum is you, you want to be the investor and you actually want to invest in these types of businesses. And so um, some of that is if you're an operator looking to raise money, you're looking for the investors. It could be, you know, someone rich in your neighborhood, the, the, the rich dentist, the rich doctor, or, you know, the people who've made angel investments and they're interested to diversify, they're going to invest in you. On the opposite stack, you know, successful people, you know, might have 20 or 30 investments and they don't want to be active in any one particular business. And so I just want to be clear about those two differences and how you think about buying a business. And for people on different stages, investors don't typically want to buy the whole business, or if they do, they wanna make sure they have the right CEO, the right GM to come in immediately because they're not necessarily the operator anymore. Whether they don't know how to do it or whether they just don't wanna do it and they're, they're kind of past that point in their career, it's a totally different trajectory. So there are lots of paths to go down this. And, and I, I do feel like buying a business is, is sort of another asset class you know, you've got your stocks, your bonds, your real estate, but what people are talking about a little bit more is realizing that you can actually buy an established business that makes money. It has profit, it has customers, and you don't have to go through the grind of starting from scratch. And so that's a really attractive offer for a lot of people. And then there are also investors who are interested in backing those types of searchers. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, one thing also that I've heard you talk about before that's interesting is and I, and I hear this all the time, and I think it's the big one, you know, acquiring anything, real estate businesses, you know, hey, this is a value add opportunity or, hey, there's, you know, there's a lot of juice to squeeze in, in this lemon. And, you know, one of the things I've heard you touch on is talking about, you know, how much, how much active participation do they have in the business? How many hours are they actually working in it? And back to the end in mind, you know, is this somebody, something that somebody's putting in 50 hours, 40 to 50 hours a week? How much more time? You don't have more time, especially if you want to maintain a lifestyle, you don't have more time to go in there. And so I think, from, you know, from, from my experience and from hearing, you know, some of, some of your previous commentary, I just think it's so important to look at the scenario of, yeah, what's the level of involvement that you want, but then also from a realistic perspective, how much efficiency can really be gained without just, you know, breaking your, breaking your back, going crazy into the business. Yeah. And you nailed it. Right. And so there are some businesses that wouldn't make any money if the owner wasn't working 40 or 50 hours a week, you're, you're essentially buying a job. That's okay for some people if they hate their job and they'll think they'll like this better. That's great. And then there are other businesses where the owner is putting in 40 hours a week, but it makes enough money where you could hire a CEO or hire a GM or a manager or something to come in and run that. And so a lot of it is the nature of what your goal is with that acquisition. So some people, I, I talk to a lot of people who want to buy a business on the side. And then I talk to a lot of other people who are looking to acquire a, a three to $5 million company and uh, they want to go full-time and they want to have a team of 20 people. And they're maybe one of the largest landscapers in, in the county or something like that. So it, it, there, there's... There's so much opportunity out there in between all the marketplaces or, or businesses you can see online. There are businesses for a hundred, a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand dollars, hundreds of thousands, all the way up to you know millions, right? To, to high seven figures, even eight figure businesses, depending upon what you might be looking for. What's your recommendation for folks out there that, you know, it sounds interesting. Maybe, you know, they've thought about, hey, buying a business, acquiring a business would be exciting, interesting, something I've looked into. But I talk to a lot of folks and they say, I don't know where to start. 
I, you know, I don't know anything about reading a financial statement. I don't know anything about a landscaping business or an e-commerce business, or I'm not a software developer. What's your recommendation for folks to really just at least dip their toe in the water and get started? Yeah, great question. I would say, so I'd recommend a book called Buy, Then Build by Walker Dybel. There's also a, a Harvard Business Review book. Uh, I think it's called How to Buy a Company. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I would recommend Buy, Then Build. You can buy it on Amazon for like five bucks. It goes through the whole process. Walker bought maybe 10 businesses in seven years or something crazy like that. And um, it, it was the book I wish I would have read when I was, you know, 12. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've heard you talk about that one before. So I'm going to pick it up and, and definitely check it out. And then last thing before we wrap up with the the contrarian three pack, but what from from the standpoint of, no, oh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I, let me jump in here, John. One of the yeah. things I feel like I didn't talk, talk much about is when people think buying a business, how do you do that, right? What does that mean buying a business? And so there's all these different businesses out there, but typically businesses are going to be valued on the trailing 12 months. You know, in the range that we're talking about, say sub $3 million, it's going to be on the trailing 12 months of your profit or what is called seller discretionary earnings, SDE. So it's going to be your, your EBITDA plus you know, any ad backs, it could be owner salary. It could be that you throw your car under there, but your business doesn't really need a car. Some of the owner benefits. Okay. And you're typically going to get a multiple based on the trailing 12 months. So that multiple could be two X. It could be six X. It could be three X, three X, three to four X is probably about normal. Now, as your business can transfer well, it has stability, has diversified income streams. It has, you know, if you have 80% of your revenue coming from one client, that's super risky. Those types of things will actually drive that value down, okay? The, or the multiple down. So instead of being a 3X or a 4X, it's probably a 2X. So there's all these different ways to essentially value a business. And then the other piece to that is financing. There's a lot of ways to finance a business and we can't dive into all of them here, John, but there's everything from uh, seller financing where the seller is putting up a port, basically funding it as if they were a bank. There's uh, SBA loans. There's dozens of ways to do it. And everything is kind of unique. And as entrepreneurs and as we see entrepreneurs across the, the world, right, they're the most creative artists out there. They can create any deal structure and it's, it's all kind of unique and custom. I would recommend Buy Then Build is a great starting place, that book. And uh, when you think about this, you're thinking about valuations and what you're trying to build in terms of acquiring a business or building a business. Yeah, that's awesome. And what I was trying to what I was trying to remember was around, like you said, I mean, kind of just like the the title of that book, buy then build, right? So, so you focus on businesses that have some semblance of maturity, right? You're not just you know bootstrapping a startup or anything like that. So when you've done that before, (laughs) (laughs) I've done that before, which is why I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) So, so yeah, just real quick, what's, what's the rationale behind buying mature businesses versus trying to do something from a startup perspective? Yeah. So I'm, I'm batting a thousand when I buy a business and I'm, I'm batting like you know, 200 when I, when I start a business and maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. So ultimately when I think about starting a business and I've started a lot of companies is you don't have any customers, you don't have a product market fit. You don't know if your product works yet and you don't have any profit. All these things are what's critical in having a business work and have it succeed. And so the way I've approached things is if I can get into a business at year five or year 10 and and I'm I'm paying a premium for that, right? It's going to be more expensive for me to buy the business than it is for me to start it typically. But I know the product works. I know there's already a market for it. I know there's customers already buying from them and I know they're already making a profit. And so those are things that I'm all comfortable with. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the path to success, if you can, 
it's really hard to start companies, whatever the stats are, 90% of businesses fail, whatever. I don't know what the stats really are. But if you think about acquisitions, some do fail, absolutely. But your success rate is going to be a lot higher than 10%. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for folks that are, you know, a little bit mid-career or have some financial means, you know, they can kind of like you talked about trading time for money, you know, they can train that trade that sweat equity for an established business that they can kind of pick up and, and you know, ideally have it cash flowing from day one. So, well, let's, let's dig into your cash flow stack a little bit. So, from you and your wife, what are your income streams right now? You talked about you have, you know, a handful of different businesses, you know, where, where are you guys making income right now? Yeah, great question. And so we have three different income streams right now with a fourth one on the way. So actually, chickens, four, right? The chickens, four. you got to the farm in your backyard. My kids are going to be selling eggs in front of my house on, on the corner. <laughs> $35 for a dozen or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I have, I have multiple businesses. I have a, a, a podcast where we make a little bit of money, but it's really more for just the networking. It's a lot of fun called Let's Buy a Business. Um, I have a business that I bought a little bit ago called Rent Lingo. I run an Amazon FBA business. And so those are those are kind of the ones that I've had for a while. I, I work with a brokerage called Quiet Light Brokerage in terms of brokering deals. So I work with them. So basically four to five income streams. And then in, in terms of stacking it, we're in the process of acquiring our second home and hopefully renting out our first. So we'll jump into the real estate game as much as that can be called real estate when you rent out one house. So <laughs> well, very cool. But, but again, back to the diversification. And so with all those different things going on, I mean, that's a lot. How many hours a week do you think you're working? I mean, you know, like, uh, I guess heads down, you know, like you can only focus on that. Not just like when you're watching Netflix at night or something like that, you yeah, know, check way, it out. Way, some. way too many. If you ask me and you ask my wife, so uh, there's <laughs> different stages, right? So some projects, when you, when you go to launch them or you're looking to acquire, like you scale up the hours and then it scales down. And so there'll be days like, you know, I know tomorrow I didn't have anything all afternoon. So I, I blocked it off from 1 PM on. And my wife has the whole afternoon off. Whereas, you know, some days I'm grinding from 7 AM to 5 30. I get home, eat dinner, hang out with the kids for a while, put them to bed. And then I work for two, three more hours. So it, it really is all over the place. And I, I know I signed up for that. I know my, my wife kind of signed up for that too. And so I try to try to try to work in, in tranches too. One of the, one of the things that I have felt like is when I have a project and it's going well, I really dive in and go all in on it. And then I try to take some space and some time off and, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, I probably work 50 to 60 hours a week. I mean, and like you said, you know, start with the end in mind, but also understand what you're getting yourself into. And you knew that that's the direction you were going. And, and I'll be totally honest, John. So I'm working a lot of hours now because I plan on taking most of basically half of June and half of July off. We're going up to, we're going to spend the summer in Alaska with my kids. So like I, I can front load what I'm trying to do. I can, I can batch load things that I'm doing now so that I'm still going to have to work when we're traveling for a month. But also at the same time, we have a lot more flexibility of when I can put those hours in. That's awesome. And again, you know, you wouldn't have that freedom more often than not if you're working a full-time job or, you know, they would they would have a little bit more uh, requests of you while you are out. So, well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three-pack. So what would you say is the most contrarian investment that you've ever made? So the, I'm, this is a little bit of a cop-out, but hear me out here, John. So years ago, I... I decided that a certain individual needed to be my mentor, right? He didn't know this. He still doesn't know this, but I basically flew across the country and I went to a conference where I knew he was going to be at. And I scheduled, and he didn't know me. He didn't really know me, but I knew he was going to be there, which is weird because you can stalk people online, right? But I knew he was going to be there and, and he kind of knew me a little bit. And I just basically positioned myself and tried to add value to what he was doing. 
I've spent $3,000 to fly across the country to go to this conference just to meet this one individual. We sat down, had lunch, hit it off. We had lunch the next day, hit it off, had lunch three days in a row. And it turned into where I could see I wanted to be him in 10 years and 15 years and he was ahead of me, right? And just that's just the way it is from a career standpoint. And so at the time, well, $3,000 is a lot of money for, for most people, right? It was a lot of money to me and a lot of money at the time. And I just decided... And my, my wife was supportive and she said, Hey, if you think this guy can take us to the next level, let's do it. Like, what are we, what are we out? Right. And so I kind of got tickets to the conference last minute. I got flights last minute, everything last minute. And that single decision has propelled my career probably 10 years further and faster than it would be. And so I would say, you know, bet on yourself, right? Take, take that money and invest in your own education because it will pay a hundred X. And I am a firm, firm believer. And so it's not necessarily like, I say it's a cop-out because it's not like, hey, buy this, you know, altcoin or, or, or stock or something. It really is, I've seen the most return on my investment because I invested in myself and I invested in my network. That's awesome. That's awesome. And like you said, you know, the amount of time you saved and you were able to compress the time frame to, to where you can go and I just love the support of your wife too. I mean, that's outstanding, right? I mean, <laughs> it's so true. In the grand scheme of things, like, okay, would I spend three thousand dollars to save five years of my life? Absolutely, right? It's just, it's a no-brainer when you put it that way. No, absolutely, absolutely. I love that one. I'm not calling that a cop out. Oh, that, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, well, what's your favorite thing to do with friends and family outside of, outside of business when you're not working? Uh, we love the mountains. So we live here in Salt Lake City. We're you know 20 minutes from Park City. We we trail run, we hike, we ski, we do a little bit of everything. So we spent a lot of time here and in Wyoming up in the mountains. Very fun. Very fun. Yeah, I was, we've, we used to do uh, motorhoming kind of all throughout. I'm from Southern Arizona. So all throughout the, that, I guess, whatever, the North, <laughs> just North of us, but we did, you know, Wyoming. So we did Jackson Hole. We did Yellowstone. We did Utah. I was a, I was a dinosaur fan. So we had to do Dinosaur National Park. Oh yeah. Uh, real, so. man. That's, like, that's my backyard. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's awesome. Some of my best memories. And then what offers you the most fulfillment in life? So I have two boys. We just had a baby girl 10 months ago. And it's when I walk in the door coming home from work or whatever, and she gives me a hug. I love it. She's nine months old and she's already got my heart. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so fortunate with my two girls as well. So, well, Ryan, this has been super fun. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. What's the best way that the audience can get a hold of you out there? Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter. It's Ryan Paul Condi, C-O-N-D-I-E. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I have a podcast, Let's Buy a Business. You can see that also on letsbuybusiness.com. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate it. Have fun uh, in the great North uh, in Alaska with the family and everything. Looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.